0: Hey everybody, David here. Welcome back to Red Pill News. This evening I have a special guest, Attorney Ken Good from Smith County in Texas, and we are going to be discussing the failed criminal justice reform and the implications of that in America. I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Good briefly, and then we will have our discussion. Well, thank you
1: so much for having me on on your show tonight. i uh- this is a very important topic for our country and it's, it's a topic that I've spent a lot of time and energy with and it's one that, you know, I have um, a lot of knowledge about. I'm an attorney in uh, Texas, I, I, I specialize in bail law and I have argued several important cases before the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which is the highest court for criminal cases in Texas. And I represent bondsmen. I'm on the professional bondsmen of Texas, their board of directors. And these are the type of issues that we've had to educate ourselves because there's just been so much misinformation about criminal justice reform. And for so many years, we were hearing, all oh, these are, things are working when we knew they weren't. So we had to become experts uh, and, and be able to talk about these issues with our elected officials. And that's what we've been doing. And that's what we're continuing to do is educate people on these very important issues so that we will make the system better instead of continuing to make it worse.
0: That's great. And it's great to have you. I appreciate you coming on. You're someone that actually has experience, has the knowledge. So tell us a little bit about this trend of criminal justice reform, how it got started and how the results have not been what people anticipated or some people.
1: Well, you know, we've had these, you know, the bail industry has been around for 200 years and we've had some pushes in the past about we need to get rid of the bail industry. The problem is there's no other release mechanism that works as well as the bail industry. I mean that you yeah. could do a whole show on why that is, but I mean, uh the bail industry has a failure to appear rate of less than 10%. Everything else has a failure to appear rate twice, three times, four times worse than that. And that's really important in the criminal justice system because courts don't have time. And Anything that stops their case, it has to be put on hold. It has to be put on hold when somebody misses court until they come back, because that's the constitutional requirements. You can't punish them without them being there. So we Mm -hmm. have ended up if we end up waiting for people and if 50 percent of the people on the docket fail to show up, then we're putting 50 percent of the cases on hold. And if we do that for very long, then we have chaos and we, we have to dismiss cases because otherwise they can't get resolved because we're continuing to add cases what we had was this push to change things. And we had some, you know, I would say some misinformation where we we're saying, look, people will want to show up. People want to come to court so that we don't need but And we found out very quickly, like during the pandemic, that without the private industry, without somebody holding little Johnny's hand, people do not come to court. And if they don't come, it's great damage to the criminal justice system. And we've seen that over and over and across the country. And it's caused a lot of jurisdictions to repeal these bad reform uh, measures that they were talked into doing.
0: Hmm. So has this push primarily been in the past 10 years, would you say? I feel like just in media in general, I've heard the past five, six, seven years that crime has increased. More people have been released.
1: I think it's been in the most in the last five or six years that we've seen this push. You can go back to at first there was a push for, oh, we don't need bonds, when we can automate it. We can replace it with a, a, a risk assessment tool that will just give the court a score and it will tell people, uh, tell the judge whether this person should be released or held. And that turned out to be hogwashed. In fact, all the biggest digital companies in the world mm. did a joint uh, statement saying it a risk assessment. Risk assessment should not be part of criminal justice reform, especially pretrial reform, because it has a racial element. It looks at your racial group uh, in predicting what groups do, and so it has that element for an individual when you're you're predicting what they'll do. And while it's good, it has a good prediction rate for a group, it does not for an individual.
0: Uh-huh. And so
1: that you know kind of went away. And then the, when they start talking about us talking jurisdictions into replacing the bail industry. Well, once you do that, what do you, and you find out that doesn't work, well, are you going to con- admit that? Are you going to, in New Jersey, you're going to spend $100 million and you have a t- statewide tax increase for bail reform and then it doesn't work. So are you going to admit that? No, they're not going to admit it. Once you do that, it, you're stuck with this failed system.
0: Wow, that's a great point. And, you know, it makes me wonder, there's so many Mayors in New York City and Chicago—they're leaning in further into this, despite the crime. It just keeps going up. What's what's with that? Why are these mayors leaning into something that's obviously failing?
1: Well, you saw it really heavy at the end of the of the election that we just had in November. Just the week or two weeks before the election, they started saying this whole theory about crimes increasing is just not true. It's all a lie. And I thought surely this is not going to have an impact in this election i was hoping that this would be the first election where public safety overcame um identity politics but you know when they're saying they're all lying and if you don't elect us there's going to be civil war you know identity politics won out once again over public safety uh and so i i think you could trace it back several cycles probably four or five where the party of the left used anger to say, you're being mistreated, you're not being treated fairly, you're being over incarcerated. And initially it was just political rhetoric. They get elected, they get re-elected because it did what it was supposed to do. It brought out larger groups of minorities because they were angry. But the problem is after a while, their group started noticing they were not following through. So they started electing the true believers which I would call maybe a little bit, you know, off center crazies. And so they started doing what they promised. And the problem is, this is the result because it was all originally started as rhetoric. It wasn't real. And now it's creating chaos wherever these reforms have been attempted.
0: Yeah. And it seems that that did work. The emotional rhetoric and politics has always had emotional rhetoric, but now, it seems like there's not good policy at all behind the emotional rhetoric of we've got to let people out of jail to give them a second chance, even if they, you know, hurt somebody or committed violent crime. And that's the thing. So much of it is violent crime. It's not somebody, you know, Johnny stole a chocolate bar from the gas station. It's career criminals given opportunity after opportunity and, and, it's kind of it. To I think the average observer, it, w- it would be obvious. So uh, well, it, I think it's
1: it's across the spectrum. You see in California where they've decriminalized crime of uh, theft under nine hundred and fifty dollars, which is having a cascading impact. It's causing people to commit more crime and worse crime. But I mean, it's having an impact on the economy now. You have not you know have businesses that are closing because they can't withstand twenty five thousand dollars a day in shoplifting. And now it's getting Mm -hmm. to the point you have businesses also closing because they can't provide a safe work environment in that area for their employees. And so it just gets continually worse. And, you know, we've seen during the, whether you want to call them protests or riots, we had burning of businesses. A lot of those businesses did did not come back. That has a terrible impact on the community because uh, they lose those tax dollars. And then what are they going to do? They've they've run off their businesses. They lose more tax dollars, and they have to. That didn't hurt anybody, but the people that are still living there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's sad that you see businesses have to appease the woke mob. They have to put up, you know, uh, we support your movement, your cause here. Signs in their windows when they close, and you you wouldn't think it would be this divisive, this controversial, but. Uh, Apparently it is to members, some members of the the, the woke left, and I think about yeah, not just the violent crime, the the property crime. You've, as you mentioned, I've seen some videos where it's just huge mobs of people just run in and all at once, and there's no way that security is going to be able to stop 20 people and they just clean out the store simultaneously. Well-
1: you know, and who's doing that? Organized crime is is coordinating that. Uh, gangs, uh, career criminals. They're they're posting on social media, go here this time, grab what you can. They meet up a couple of blocks away. Wow. They they get it for pennies on the dollar, and then the next thing you know, it's on a, a website like Amazon shopping, where wow. they're posting it and and making money off of it. And it's so whenever we create a void where we're saying, well, we're doing these policies to protect the poor, the people that are stepping in to take advantage of it are the career criminals, the gang elements and organized crime. And we've now tied the hands of law enforcement. We tied the hands of judges for a, maybe a noble cause, but now they can't even address a real criminals. And that's what's really killing us. That's why crime you see crime going up.
0: Yeah. And I'm even seeing I saw a news segment the other day. A gas station had hired armed guards to protect their customers. That's not only an additional expense to the business that they probably have to pass on to customers, but I even wonder in some of these states, if you are the the good person that is defending themselves, maybe you're concealed carry and it's it's clear that you did not instigate the situation are you even safe or is the criminal justice system went so far as to make the actual perpetrator the victim can someone defend themselves and have you know legal justification these days
1: it's going to depend on where you live like in mm-hmm. Texas you know if you if you break into my house and you steal something even if you're running away from it from me with it, I have the right in Texas to shoot you because I, we have what's called the castle doctrine, but that doesn't, that doesn't, that principle doesn't exist everywhere. And you Mm -hmm. know, in our more progressive States, you don't have the right to uh, protect your property. You have the right to defend yourself. So if somebody's running away from you with something that belongs to you and you shoot them, they would probably end up suing you because you have a house, you have a homeowner's policy, so you would have something for them to shoot at with, with their attorney, uh, you know, not really shoot at, but yeah. something for them to try to obtain. Sure. And so you'd end up being sued back. So it just depends on where you live, that we have these policies. You know, you saw that in Florida, you know, we had this uproar about a gentleman who stood up, you know, stand your ground doctrine. Well, not every state has a stand.
0: Your oh ground yeah. Doctrine,
1: but some states do. And so do I have a right to defend myself? You have to find out what your state says do I have a right to defend my property? you have to find out what your state law is and it's going to be different in every yeah
0: state. yeah, that's um that would make if if I were living in some of the states that were i, I would I would call them pro perpetrator almost. I would probably want well, to move or at least at the it,
1: city. say you live in a castle doctrine state and your prosecutor, Defa, you know, decriminalizes Uh, theft under nine hundred fifty dollars. You break into my house, you're not going to be prosecuted. But I don't want it you to do it, so I turn around and shoot and kill you. I will not be prosecuted for murder because I was doing what the law allowed me to do. So we're actually creating a situation where we're putting that defendant, that person, in a worse position than they would have been if we had just prosecuted them for theft.
0: Wow, that's a unintended consequence that I, I don't know that many's thought about, but that's so true. That's uh, more damage, physical damage, potential property damage that just would not have occurred. So it you would say that the increase in violent crime, it's not been exaggerated. It's not just a partisan talking point. It's real.
1: Absolutely. And it's not just the violent, it's all across the spectrum. It's real when Target comes out and releases a press release saying that theft is affecting their bottom line to the tune of $400 million. It is real when Walmart says that if our politicians don't change course, we're going to have to start changing. We're going to have to start closing stores because we're having record unforeseen um, shoplifting that's not sustainable. And then when you get a green light on the low crimes, it's like, you know, the broken windows doctrine says, if you want to really fight crime, you start with the low stuff and then that'll discourage the big stuff. Well, when you're giving the green light on the low stuff, then they'll do the low stuff and they'll build up to the big stuff as well. And so it just cascades all across the criminal justice spectrum and you'll have more severe crime as well because they, where do they stop?
0: Yeah, to stop, that's it. They
1: cross the line, and we make them stop.
0: That's it, yeah. If you feel enabled on the small things, then you're likely going to feel like you can just do anything if you're in that mindset, if someone who's already a criminal is but in there's that. There's a story in the
1: news from the last day about a politician in South America who is the most popular politician in this hemisphere, and he has like an 80% approval rating. And they're like, why? Why is he so popular? He came in with a promise to lower crime, and he did it. And the way he did it was he used the broken windows doctrine. And if, he, and if you violate the law and you commit a crime, you were found guilty, and you were—if you need to go to jail—you went to jail. And crime has gone down like seventy-five percent. So, wow. you know, we know how to fight crime. We know what to do. It's just we're not doing it. And because we have politicians that are refusing to allow and are putting governors, you know, a governor on a car is won't allow you to drive over a certain speed. We have politicians that are putting governors on law enforcement to prevent them from doing their job.
0: Yeah. And that's another element of it, too, is this cultural pressure to not be uh, targeting minorities, to not be racist. And I'm not saying that that does not exist but it's way blown out of proportion, and it's just this this facade of you're automatically bad if you are too hard on someone or you hold someone accountable. It it is all around, not just the laws now that I think about it. It I I hear so many police officers that have quit their jobs because they're like, look, I want to be able to see my family. I don't want to end up with a lawsuit. I don't want to end up in a bad situation. So it's kind of two sided. It's like it's pressure on both sides.
1: Well, I, you know, do we have a racial problem or do we have an inner city crime problem? Right. In our inner cities, schools have failed. Families have failed. There's no job opportunity. Drugs are rampant. And that's kind of the thing we can't talk about. He who shall not be maimed is drug addiction and mental health issues. And so do we really have a, a racist criminal justice system or do we have an inner city crime problem where anyone that can has any ability to move out has moved out and what we have left is an inner city where we have a large number or bigger numbers of minorities stuck there because they can't get out and they're being held prisoner by these failed systems and is the real response that we should give up on the criminal justice system to just join all the failed policies that we've had is that the is that the result? We're just going to wall off those cities and just ride them off? Surely not. Surely not.
0: Yeah, I mean that that is infuriating. Just think about that. Thinking about that in that context, it's like they're saying, "Okay, what we've done hasn't worked, but we're just going to release everybody and back into the community, and whatever happens, happens." That does not.
1: Well I just get upset when people say well we already incarcerate too many people in the United States. That is absolutely not true. Our crimes increasing. As long as crimes increasing, we need to crimp, we need to put more people in jail. And how can you say that we're putting too many people in jail when everybody in the world sends all their drugs to the United States. I mean, so we have a disproportionate amount of drugs to distribute and sell and to take advantage of people with but we're saying that, oh, well, we shouldn't be criminal- putting all these people in jail. Drugs are the driving force for 80% of almost all crime. Hmm. I mean, if we just say, oh, well, we're gonna, we've are we lost the, the war on drugs, then we've lost the war on crime. We cannot give up that fight. Wow.
0: wow. And I wonder how much of this, and I guess this would matter, the specifics of Arizona law or Texas law. I wonder how many non-citizens who were bringing fentanyl, do they always get... Arrested and held accountable, or are some of them been, you know, taken back to Mexico, and then they just do it again. They do it a second time.
1: We, you know, we have such an open border with right with immigrants coming through or illegal aliens. What do you want to call them? We have an open border. We don't. We're not really stopping anybody to come through, and that is allowing organized crime to bring fentanyl through unabated. And so that's one of the problems that we're having. And you just look at that and you go. What would our politicians? What would Joe Biden be doing any different on on immigration policy if he was being paid off by gang members? If he's being paid off by the wow. cartels to just look the other way? What would he be doing differently than he's doing right now?
0: Wow, that's a powerful statement, and that's true. Like it is been. He told a reporter the other day. They had asked him, uh, "So, do you intend to go to the border soon?" He said, "No. There's some more important things." to take care of i was just like oh my goodness let's look at this comment here this is kind of interesting george gasson district attorney of los angeles has stepped up his fight for prison reform i'm not sure what that specific fight is but uh
1: george gasson is one of the da's he's an lada but he's one of the ones that you know the da is the voice of the victim in the courtroom but you know, a year ago, his office said, well, we just have a disagreement over who the real victim is. And so when they're saying that they're saying they think the defendant is the victim and mm-hmm. think about that for a minute. If, when if DA Gascon is in the courtroom and he thinks the defendant's the victim and the defense attorneys in the courtroom thinking the defense is the vic- defendant is the victim who is even arguing for the person who had the crime committed on who we normally would say is the victim. There's no one arguing on their behalf. Right. And that's not the way the criminal justice system was intended to operate.
0: Yeah. So in that context, which is happening a lot, the actual victim is abandoned. I mean, there's no one there to fight for them. How scary it must be to live in a community and you're maybe violently assaulted by someone and they're let go the next day or within six hours and you hear they're out. I mean, I, I would be afraid to walk around in my, if they were in my neighborhood, I wouldn't want to go outside.
1: Well, what does that tell you in about crime? Crime is already going up, but how much unreported crime do we have? And I think one of the untold stories here is, what is the resolution rate on the crimes that are being reported? It's going down. I mean, mm. if, if the crimes that are being reported are only being resolved or closed 50% of the time, then how, I mean... If I'm living in that neighborhood, am I going to tell anybody else about the next crime? I mean, no, it's got a less chance of being closed and they're still going to be walking the streets and they're going to find out that I'm the one that told. So you're seeing reported crime go down, even though unreported crime is going through the roof, even as reported crime is going up, because the resolution of those crimes is going down.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. And that's just a vicious cycle. And the community—it sounds like. So, where do we go from here? What's the balance between the the Joe Biden 1994 crime bill and where where, where are we at now? Like, what what is a good middle ground that would hopefully be acceptable to everyone, or maybe some people will never accept anything. I'm not sure. What do you think? This
1: is going to sound like it's completely off topic, but um, you know, for a democracy to work. I think you have to have the consent of the losing people, the, the losing yeah. party. Yeah. And we're now in a in a point where, you know, the the progressives are saying if we lose it was stolen, we're never gonna consent to to be governed. And the, in just two weeks ago or three weeks ago, right before the election, they were saying we will have war if you don't reelect us. Yeah. So I don't know what the compromise is. If, if, if it's our way or the highway and we think you're lying and you're, there's really not a crime problem. The good news is this is not sustainable. It cannot continue. Uh, we've had cycles like this before, not a cycle where it swung so far to the left so quickly. Uh, but, we have had cycles of where we felt safe and we enacted policies to be more forgiving, which I would say is what happened at the start of this, this cycle. And now we're reaping the, the the terrible things that happen when you release more and more criminals. Because when you release more criminals, you're going to have more crime. And we're finding that out once again. And when we tell somebody they will not be held accountable, and that's what we're doing. Because we're saying we want to give you a second chance, but we're giving you a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. Harris County, Texas, a 15th chance, a 16th chance. At some point, they realize I'm never going to be held accountable so I can do whatever the hell I want. And that's when things get crazy. And that's where we're at. We have to stop it from getting crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does feel like we're there. And. Is there, if someone is a minor property crime, are they immediately housed with, with like murderers or, or really violent people? Or, or how, how does that work?
1: I, I would say minor crime right now. Nobody's being held in jail, especially post pandemic. The jails are already full, they're already full of really dangerous people. And that's mm-hmm. actually um, making the problem a little bit worse because you don't have any capacity to hold even the minor criminals accountable. So if they decide not to come to court, it's very difficult to say hey i'm going to hold you in court because the jail's already full and mm. we can't hold you know we can only hold you for so long and if they you know if everybody in jail figured that out it would it just be complete utter chaos
0: yeah yeah and, and you're right there there's so much messaging on the left that we want things this way and we'll do whatever we have to do to make them this way and it it in some ways implicating extra judicial, not or implying rather, not necessarily saying it at face value. But uh yeah, it's we're more divided than ever. And our criminal justice system, for sure, is, is getting out of hand. And I wonder, the same as I, I work in policy, I didn't think this would be the focus, the things that have been the focus the last few years. And you working in law probably didn't think that This, Or maybe you predicted that you had insight of attitudes, but I know 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought, I'm approaching my mid-30s, that this would be where we're at, where we're literally asking, why does this guy violently assault somebody and he's out in two days? Well,
1: you know, five or six years ago, you never heard anybody say anything about criminal justice reform, bail reform. I mean, it all started out as bail reform bail bondsmen are the easy target everybody you know nobody likes a bail bondsman um and so you know they they started out with the easy target and but they started enacting policies that just were terrible and they kept saying oh these are great these are going to work give it more time and, and now you're seeing all of these stories story after story about uh crime is increasing and uh the failures that, you know people are getting out so quickly it's because These things that have been set up when nobody was listening have been utter failures and it's really difficult to repeal and bring back reason when you've Mm. gone down those roads. We've seen it happen. Alaska enacted some of these reforms and didn't like them and they thought it was terrible. They brought them back and said, what have you done to us? And they repealed them. And you see that in other areas as well. But I mean, it's going to be difficult for California to, to go mm. from, we changed some felonies down to misdemeanors. Now we've just decriminalized crime under $950, a theft under $950. How do you rein that back in? They will ultimately have to, or they're going to yeah. chase all their uh, retail sales stores out of the state. But, mm. So they will have to at some point.
0: Right. I, I agree with that because you're seeing in census data, there's a net negative uh, leave, people leaving the states where it seems those policies are most prominent and where there, where law and the rule of law is most held, people are, it's a net positive, people are coming in. So with that, I know with an outsider's point of view, I can think of which states I say is doing best or worst, but what would you say? Who do you think, not even states necessarily, either states or cities, who do you think is, is doing best right now with a reasonable approach Uh, And who do you think is doing worse?
1: Well, I think uh, I would say that Florida is doing really well. I would say Texas outside of Houston is doing very well
0: um, Mm.
1: because Texas enacted a a positive criminal justice reform uh, with SB6. And I think it's a blueprint model for across the country. I think New York has done a terrible job. I think New Jersey did a terrible job when they enacted what we call the New Jersey plan and i think mm-hmm. i think the king is probably going to be california when you you tell people that if you mm-hmm. commit theft under 950 dollars, you're fine you're golden you know that's just a transfer of property from the private industry to, to organized crime and is you know they say oh they passed it by saying oh we're helping the poor no you are helping organized crime and the organized criminals they'll uh, gangs and they'll take advantage of the poor They'll give them pennies on the dollar for it and the man be used to go buy drugs and alcohol and it's not going to help anybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I could see how that can be exploited. I don't want to forget about SB six. I want to hear more about that in just a minute, but I think of imagery and you've probably seen the videos too in Los Angeles. It just looks like a third world country. I mean, there's so many people that are just so high on the sidewalks they are out of it. And then there's casually always a fight in the background and, I feel like that might be the vision for all of America if these policies are not reversed. And you mentioned Alaska. I mean, that's good. At least that state reversed them. But with all that being said, talk about SB 6 a bit.
1: Well, SB 6, uh, Senate Bill 6 in Texas, um, was major bail reform. It did three things. Number one, it required magistrates to review criminal histories before setting bail and so we don't no longer do like new york uh, has been mm-hmm. doing where no matter how many charges you're no matter how many times you're charged with the same offense if it's on the list where you get released without a bond then in texas you'd be be, be released on a, a pr bond in houston anyway so mm-hmm. we ended that you you are required to review criminal histories before setting bail and that's the whole concept of of criminal justice reform you want to The person who has no criminal history you want to treat them one way and someone with a substantial criminal history you need to treat them another way because they need more pressure to turn around this whole concept that we need to treat everybody the exact same way is just completely contrary to our concept of criminal justice so that's the first thing the second thing that we did uh, we limited the use of free release releasing them without bond or releasing them on a pr bond Um, and so uh Violent offenses are no longer, a bunch of them are no longer eligible to be. What's ruined. a PR
0: bond? Sorry to interrupt. A What's personal
1: the- bond. Like in okay. New York, we would release them without bond. In okay. Texas, be, we don't have anything like that. So you'd release them on a personal bond, which is a free bond. It's a government bond. Oh. And so we limited that use in Texas. And then the third thing that we did was we were the first state in the country that put restrictions on um, uh, bail funds, charitable bail funds. And... We didn't limit the bonds they could post. We just required them to report whatever they posted. Uh, Indiana oh, wow. went further uh, after that and restricted the bonds they could post. And the reason why is, you know, all these bail funds raised substantial numbers of amounts of money on the, on the premise that they were going to bail out poor people who were stuck in jail. Well, the problem is they found out those people aren't in jail. So who are they bonding out? They're bonding out the people that nobody wants to bond out Mm. because they're the longtime drug dealers. They've already lost all their friends or drug users. They've lost all their family. So nobody will bond them out. That's who we're finding that they're bailing out, and those people need to be in jail. And and so we're putting – you're starting to see other states even go further and put restrictions on them. But in Texas, we just did a reporting, just transparency, tell us what you're doing, report it monthly. And tell us if they're failing to appear for court
0: yeah that's nice to know who's paying and how much they're paying I, I i can't verify this or i have not attempted by heard allegations a lot and i believe it's true that the vice president had a fund i don't want to, i don't know that she she was one of it. the
1: first to recommend a, okay. a bell fund so she rec- she went on twitter and said hey go contribute to this bail fund and uh, it raised substantial sums of money as a result.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, uh, so damaging to communities with the irony that they want to help or they say they want to help, but doesn't seem like that's we're on the path for that. Well, at the all. Problem,
1: they're destructive because some of them, they're stated goal. This is what they say. I mean, one of them did an oral argument at the, um, at the court of appeals on, on a loss on a federal lawsuit uh, over the Indiana statute. And it was just Wednesday. And the first thing out of their mouth was our stated policy is to try to get rid of the private industry bail system. Uh. I mean, they're a charitable organization. They, they couldn't do what we do because they're only posting bonds for maybe 10% of the people, Mm. 80% of the uh, uh, industry or the market is being posted by the bail industry. I mean, they couldn't do it. And so what What would they replace us with? Well, they're basing it on, well, we shouldn't be holding them anyway. We should just, they'll come. We don't need anybody to, we, all that's been disproven. So they're just creating chaos. And, you know, Indiana just said, you know, we're going to restrict what you do. And I think that's, we'll find out whether that is constitutional to do that.
0: Hmm, yeah, it'd be interesting to see when that gets taken and how far up it goes. And the judicial, judicial system so lastly here preventative detention talk about how the pendulum swings sometimes and maybe too far and who's who's been advocating for preventative detention and what what are your thoughts on that
1: well you know we've we've during the criminal justice debate we've had the pendulum swing very hard to the left and it's like we shouldn't hold anybody uh, everybody will come to court everybody is essentially a good person even though you know in the Bible it says we're not good people we're we're yeah. only good once we uh, turn to God. Uh, so uh, the, now that we've kind of shown or once we started realizing people are not showing up for court, the pendulum is starting to swing. And I would argue that if it swings too far to the right, the response to is, well, we're just going to hold mm-hmm. you. We're going to hold you in jail until your criminal case is resolved, no matter how long that takes. And, you know, that is a concept that is completely contrary to our criminal justice system. And it dates back many, many years, all the way back to the Magna Carta. Because, uh, you know, the king, if he got mad at somebody, he would charge them with a crime and just never resolve it. And he would hold them just indefinitely. Well, the Magna Carta were the, was the first document where the king agreed to place restrictions on his ability to do that. And that's really where we trace the roots of the bail industry. Um, mm. Almost every t- constitution in, the, in uh, every state has some form of that language where, uh, like in mm. Texas, you can only be held for preventative detention if the Texas constitution allows it for capital murder would be a good example. Anything else, our constitution says you have a right to bail with sufficient surety, which is a bail- bond by, backed by the private industry. So almost every constitution in the country protects your right to release by the private industry. And so we're being demonized when we're your only guaranteed way of release. All of these others, release on personal recognizance, release on a personal bond, they've been litigated. They're not protected by the Constitution. They're just given by the legislature and what they give, they can take away. And so why are we attacking the private industry when it's the only guaranteed right, they cannot take away from you unless you're charged with something really, really, really bad. Mm. It's kind of, you, I would argue they're doing it because they're setting it up for
0: the future. We want to take away that right. Cause we already know we can take away all the others. Mm.
1: So so we get to the preventive detention, the left is never going to be in favor of preventive detention. The right would normally be okay with it, except for the cost. You know, the right is more fiscally minded. And so prevented detention is costly if we're just going to hold everybody uh, until their case is resolved. And so the right would say, you know, we we can't afford that. We can't afford to hold everybody in jail. And so it ends up, I'm hoping that if it swings that way, the, both the right and the left come to the same conclusion, even if it's for different reasons.
0: Yeah, that we can meet in the middle. Even that language, I could see how that would be twisted by the left because it it almost sounds like it's saying uh pre-crime confinement but it's actually you've done something you've been charged but you just haven't had your trial yet
1: yes but you know pre-trial release has nothing to do with the um, presumption of innocence your right to release is based solely on the assurances that you give to the court that you will come back to answer your charges. Uh Aha. So there's a whole bunch of factors they review to determine whether you should be released and what the amount of your bond should be in Texas. One of them is your ability to pay, but none of them is presumption of innocence, whether you did the crime. Interesting. Presumption of innocence is at the trial. This is what assurance are you going to give the court that you'll come back to answer the
0: charges? Interesting. Uh, That's, uh, I did not know that. I don't, I think most people probably do not know that. That's interesting. So. Would you say that SB6 is a good baseline model for other states, or do you think it's uh, unique to Texas? What do you think about that? Well,
1: the prosecutors that I've talked to uh, over the last year think it's a game-changer. They think it's working very well, but I think that they uh, the number one thing they see is reviewing criminal histories before setting bail. If your state is already doing that, then I don't know if it would be a game changer. You know, like in Texas, we have 254 uh, counties. And when you're arrested, the own, you know, up until SB 6, you could review the criminal history in your county. But there was no database to really go to uh, outside of DPS that you could easily check somebody's criminal history on. And, and so it was very difficult. And you didn't. And it wasn't a requirement of the law. Uh, you know, the, the courts had ruled that you could, but there was no requirement. Now we have it required and they had to set up a database system uh, infrastructure that would allow that to happen
0: uh, yeah that sounds like that could be worth it but probably costly
1: very very expensive very expensive yeah especially for a state the size of Texas
0: yeah I bet y'all what were are y'all 30 million something I like that
1: more than four <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> yeah I was just thinking about the somewhat unrelated, but how quickly y'all finish counting versus Arizona, despite f- at least four times as many people. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. I appreciate you joining me tonight. Would you like to leave uh, any info? I know you represent the the bondsman. Would you like to leave a website or anything for the audience? I'll put in the video description if you'd like it for anybody sure. to reach out.
1: Sure. If you want more information, you go to our website, pbtx.com. Uh, we have a, a blog where we highlight important articles we also have a podcast of our own it's linked on our uh on our menu but you could also go to the bellpost.com
0: all right well hey great to have you mr good we appreciate you sharing this info because we really need a good just justice system not one that has gone too far and uh, treating the perpetrator as the victim so I appreciate you joining me tonight
1: thank you very much for having me